You know, Jesus did something real powerful. Last week we celebrated uh, the fact that he's not dead anymore. That's a real strong thing since I can take you right now to where they got Mohammed's bones. I can take you where the bones of Buddha lay. But if I wanted to take you to the tomb of Jesus, you would find nothing but an empty hole where once laid a man, nay, just the Son of God himself, who allowed death to hold him, oh, but just for a few days, long enough for him to grab the keys to death, hell, and the grave, step on the neck of your enemy and bring those keys back in a victory shout when he decided that death was not going to hold him any longer. I might preach an Easter message every Sunday for the rest of the year. I love Jesus and I love the fact that he's not dead. But one thing interesting is when we think about the crucifixion of Christ, we think about the fact that he was whipped, we think about the fact that he was brutalized, we think about the fact that he was spit on and cussed at and uh, uh, literally they stole his clothing and then they gambled for it. Uh, they did all kind of things to Jesus and almost everything we see in our Bible was foretold. But one of the powerful and most powerful parts of the crucifixion, the execution of our Christ, is the fact that he took his spotless blood and he shed it for you and for me. You see, the blood of Jesus is something not often talked about in 2016 Christianity. It's something that somehow has been swept under the rug or put in the back of the room where people don't want to talk about the blood of Jesus anymore. They don't want to talk about an old rugged cross. They don't want to talk about the fact that the power of God, the power of heaven, the power of a kingdom that cannot be contained was nailed to a tree until the power said, I will not be dead anymore. They don't want to talk about these kind of things. There's something about a bloody gospel that begins to turn people away from God, so they think. But my Bible says around John chapter number 12 that if he will be lifted up, that he will draw all men unto him. So I'm here to tell you this morning a simple story, a story about a man put to death on your behalf, a story about a man who poured his own blood out for you who could have stopped it at any moment but instead chose to give his life on your behalf. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter number 17, verse 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Hebrews chapter number 9, verse number 22. The scripture says, Almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Indeed, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. This is the New Testament. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, you and I don't have a chance when we stand in front of our Creator on that day. Without the shedding of blood, you and I don't have a price paid for us because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also says that the wages of sin is death. There is a place called hell 
It was never designed for God's people. It was never designed for humanity. It is a place designed for those who rebelled against God in the greatest rebellion that ever happened in the heavenlies when the choir director of heaven named Lucifer decided that he was going to ascend to the side of the north and he was going to sit at the right hand of God himself and he was going to replace the Son of God. He was going to replace the only begotten. He was going to replace the Lamb of God. When that happened, there was a great overthrow and all of a sudden there was a war. And we don't know how long the war uh, lasted, but what we do know is when it got time to fling Lucifer or the devil from the heavenlies, the Bible says he was flung like lightning from heaven. God told him, you've gone too far. And he prepared a place for him, a place filled with fire and agony. The Bible says that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Your teeth will be grinding. Have you ever bit wrong and it hurt your teeth and it felt like a lightning bolt shot through your face? This is what hell will be like times a thousand. There will be no water in hell. Nobody will be able to drink anything in hell. There will be no air in hell. Hell is a place designed for eternal damnation or separation from God designed for the angels or the created beings that literally turned their back on who God was and decided that they were more important than God. It was never designed for people. It was never designed for people like me and you. No, we were made in God's likeness and God's image. And in the original master plan, we walked with God. Humanity walked with God. The Bible says in the cool of the day, all through the garden that was designed for God's people. Every one of their needs was there. They were all met because the Bible says that He supplies our needs according to His riches and glory. God gave humanity all dominion over all the earth. He said everything that creeps and crawls and every animal, you have authority over it. And you and me, we had this place of amazing blessing. And all of a sudden, a three-lettered word ruined the whole thing, sin. Sin came in and all of a sudden what was created in God's image and God's likeness which was completely holy, completely set apart, completely in unison with who God was who could walk with God, talk with God, hold hands with God, give God a high five could do anything they wanted with God because the holiness that God is was congruent with the holiness that humanity was until sin wrecked the thing and when sin wrecked the thing humanity became a blemished vessel that could not get close to God because what is unholy cannot touch what is holy because that would make what is holy now unclean. So God says, you got to get away from me. And he threw him out of the garden. But he didn't throw him out of the garden without a plan. What happened is he threw him out of the garden with a plan that would be the ultimate plan that would rescue humanity. And prophecy began to come forth about a son that would come, about a lamb who would come, about blood that would be shed. You look at the garden picture, you can't look at it as a God who wants to be away from humanity. You've got to look at it as a God who wanted humanity far enough that they wouldn't be consumed, but close enough that they could hear still, the pro still hear the promise of what's to come. He said, you get, can't get close to me right now. If you get close to me right now, you're not going to make it. But there's a day coming when I'm going to send my son. He's going to pay the price for you. So all the way from the book of Genesis until Jesus showed up on the scene, there was foretold, number one, the blood of Jesus. 
The blood of Jesus has been talked about. The blood of Jesus had been, has been prophesied. The blood of Jesus has been foretold. Since that moment in the garden, the plan was an activation. Now the blood is important not just because it's where remission comes from. The blood is important not just because it's where the life is. The blood is important because God said it's important. There's a scripture in our Bible that says, let us reason with God. Can I just say this? Let's just reason that he's right and believe what he says. The Bible says in certain places more than once, it talks about Moses and the Passover. The Passover is a powerful time. It's still celebrated today in many circles, including Jewish circles. And if you pay attention to the seasons and times, we even celebrated some. But the Passover was representative of when the angel of death passed over certain homes in Egypt that were occupied by Israelites. Now, the angel did not pass over the homes because they were Israelites. He passed over the homes because when he looked down, he saw the blood of a spotless lamb. The Bible says that the Israelites who'd been held captive for about 400 years were about to be set free and God sent the angel of death to go and, and collect what is rightfully his because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Everybody has sinned. Therefore, that angel was legally authorized to go and collect on a debt owed. The Bible says no man knows the hour that his, the day or the hour that his soul will be required of him. So God told the Israelites, he said, what you need to do is you need to take a handful of brush and you need to get some blood from a spotless lamb and you need to put that blood on the top of the doorpost and you need to put that blood on both sides of the doorpost. And when you do that, if you do that, you and your whole house will be saved. They splattered the blood on the top. They splattered the blood on the sides. Without a doubt, some of that blood dripped to the ground. And if we look at it, you see blood at the top, blood on the side, blood on the side, and blood on the ground, which is a perfect image of our cross. And I never understood it because I thought, why wouldn't he just put the blood on the door? Why would he put it on the doorpost? But then like a river, the scripture flooded my mind, my remembrance, which is to say this. Jesus said, I am the door. Nobody gets to the Father unless they pass through me. The Bible also says that if he'll be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto him. So for you and for me, you are the blood-covered doorpost that is, caused, that is called to hold the Savior Christ Jesus up so that your friends and family can have access to pass through the work He did at the cross. There's something about the blood of Jesus and it, it causes division. You can talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. You can talk about uh, uh, how much God loves you. You can sing Amazing Grace and nobody cares. But as soon as you start talking about that precious blood, everybody starts to get a little bit shaky in their seat. When you start talking about the blood of Jesus, things start to tremble. And I've done this long enough to know that when things start to tremble, most oftentimes you're on the right track. 
The blood of Jesus applied in the right area of your life can change every area of your life. But Moses had them put the blood on the doorpost, on the top, the sides that dripped down, and literally for them to be uh, uh, delivered, for death to pass over their home, they had to walk through the image of the cross. Another time, Abram, he was given a son in his old age to his wife named Sarah, his only begotten son through Sarah. And God said, I need you to bring your only son through Sarah. I need you to take him and I want you to give him to me. And the Bible says that he took his boy and they went off to sacrifice Isaac. He was going to go sacrifice his own son just like a type and shadow of what God did for you and me. And he took him and he took uh, wood that they were going to build an altar out of and he put it on Isaac's back and he said, Now Isaac, you carry this wood up that hill. I know another son who had wood laid on his back and was carrying it up to the place where he would be sacrificed. And Isaac, being a very smart lad, a very sharp young man, looks over at his daddy and says, Daddy, I, I see the wood. I see the knife. I even see the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And his daddy looks at him. Maybe he knew he was prophesying. Maybe he didn't. And he said to him, God will provide a lamb. Another place in our Bible, uh, Moses, they were out of Egypt and they were in the promised land. They were in the wilderness and they were making their way to the promised land. And the Bible says that God gave him instruction that said, listen, every firstborn lamb needs to be given to the house of God. A type of the first fruit. He said, but the firstborn of an unclean animal by Jewish standards, one would be like a donkey. If there's an unclean animal born, you have to redeem it, but you don't redeem it by itself because it's unclean. You got to get a spotless lamb and sacrifice the spotless lamb for the unclean. You and me are all born with a problem. you got a blood problem. We're born out of the seed of Adam. The Bible says we're born after him and every one of us is born in sin. We have a problem. We can't sacrifice ourselves because it doesn't redeem anybody. We have to have a spotless lamb who will be laid down on our behalf. Number one, the blood of Jesus is foretold all through our Bible. Number two, the blood of Jesus is necessary. There was no other option. We had no other chance. We had no other way. The Bible says Jesus stood up boldly and he didn't say, I think I'll present a good option. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Nobody got out of Egypt that day without death visiting their home unless they had crossed through the sign of the cross. There's something about the blood of Jesus and it, it causes angst and anxiety in people. When in reality, for those of us who have called on the name of Jesus and sit in the peace that's like a rocking chair of all salvation and we can cling to, we literally, when you say the blood, something on the inside of me just makes me say, thank you, Jesus. You start talking about the blood, you're talking about nuclear weapons in the spirit. 
You're talking about drawing a line in the sand that says, no devil, you will not have my family. The apostle Paul was locked in prison not because he was selling dope and not because he was running all kind of problems, because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the midnight hour, the Bible says, there was an earthquake of heaven, an earthquake from heaven, not because Paul was quivered and crying, but because in the midnight hour, in a terrible moment, bound with stocks and chains, he decided he was going to worship God and magnify God. And when you magnify God in your dark moments, earthquakes come from heaven that will set you free. They magnified God and the whole place shook. The jailer who was tasked with the job of making sure Paul and Silas don't get away came to them and or ran into the prison, saw everybody was missing and was about to commit suicide. And Paul says, well, man, you don't have to do that. We're here. We're having a Bible study. Or actually, he said, we're studying some of my letters. He said, Paul, what do I have to do to be saved? Before Jesus died, he was asked that same question. And his answer was, well, you better follow the law. Now on the other side of Calvary, the answer was belief. Before the cross, you got to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G all the way through. But after the cross, belief. He says, and if you'll do that, jailer, you and your house will be saved. I'm, I long for heaven. I'd love to be there. I'd love to see those golden streets. I don't want to go one minute early. Because when I get there, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to do what God has called me to do. How sad would it be if you got to go but had to leave your family behind? No, when you say yes to Jesus, he didn't say everybody has to put the blood on the door. He said, if you will, then that house will be saved. You say, well, they're not living right. They're not doing right. I know they're not. Just hold on. You and your house will be saved. Well, what if I don't see it? Thank God we live by faith and not by sight. What if I've been praying for, for years and years? I remember one part where they walked into a play. They walked into the temple. The disciples did right after Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Ghost fell. And they literally walked into the temple and there was a man laying there and he'd been there for 40 years. And all of a sudden, his miracle manifested. Sometimes holding on is exactly what you should do. Sometimes holding on is all you can do. But thank God, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. 
The blood of Jesus is necessary. The blood of Jesus is foretold. And the blood of Jesus is available. Isaiah 53 and 5, one of the most popular scriptures in our whole Bible, says this. He was wounded for our transgressions. Isn't it interesting he wasn't wounded for his transgressions? He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. You you, you see, I got kids. I got a four-year-old little girl. I have a seven-year-old little boy and a nine-year-old girl. And, and my four-year-old little girl, if you've ever had young children, maybe you can relate to this. I could put on the best suit I got. I'm talking three pieces with a pocket square, with my tie on, shoes shine just right. I could walk out feeling like a million bucks, feeling good on purpose, walk into that kitchen, and my little four-year-old could be eating her Frosted Flakes. I'm not sure if my wife would want y'all to know she eats Frosted Flakes. Eating her Corn Flakes, you know. No sugar allowed, you know. She's eating her Frosted Flakes. She'll take that, what, what, you know, she's a small spoon, but it looks like a, a dump truck load when a little kid puts cereal in her mouth. And she'd take that big dump truck load of cereal and she put it in her mouth and it'll drip on her shirt so you don't get them dressed until after you feed them their cereal. Y'all know how to do it. And, and they're eating that cereal and she'll look at me and I might have just, just the smallest little nick on the side of my cheek where my razor may have caught me whenever I was pulling that thing too fast in the shower or whatever, may have caught me. And I'm talking about as small as the head of a pen, just the smallest little spot. And I'm talking about I'm looking like a million dollars. I walk out, got my hair fixed, got my suit on, got my tie tied tight. I'm getting ready to go to church. It's time. I'm feeling good. God is good. Everybody's good. And my little Trinity Bell with a mouthful of Frosted Flakes will go, what happened to your face? And I'm like, oh, what, what? You're like bleeding, Dad. And I'll be like, well, I cut it with the razor. She's like, it looks bad. <laughs> well, you're going to eat cornflakes from now on, little frosted flake eater. <laughs> but it's a wound. A wound is something that you can see from the outside. A wound is an area where you've been hurt on the outside. A wound is an area that is visible without an x-ray machine. The Bible says to know what to do and to not do it is sin. King James says to know what is right and to not do it to him, that is sin. If you know what you should do and you do the opposite, that is called a, 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 a sin. Also a dirty word in church now, which I don't know how we got away from that. Sin, sin will send you to a place that is apart from God for all eternity. And there's only one thing more powerful than sin, and that is the blood of the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. But what happens is, is when we have a wound, it is something that can be seen, it is something that is visible. 
And the Bible says that Jesus was wounded for the sin in our life that can be seen. There are things that you do that you need the blood of Jesus to cover them up. Maybe you're at Kroger and the lady checking your stuff out says something to you and you tell her something you wish you hadn't said. All of a sudden you know you shouldn't have done that and to him that does what they know they shouldn't do, to him or her that is sin. You know that sin but the blood of Jesus is applied in that area because he was wounded for the areas of our life that can be seen. Your sin. My sin. The second area, he says he was bruised for our iniquities. Iniquity is a word we don't use very often nowadays. But it's the stuff on the inside that you struggle with that maybe nobody else knows about. It's the recurring thoughts like fiery darts constantly coming in your direction. It's the stuff that's buried from years ago that if you sat on somebody's couch, they would tell you, you think that because this happened to you. And there may be some truth to it, but the reality is it's something hidden that cannot be seen. It's iniquity. It's a sin nature. Maybe your daddy had a bad temper. And now you fight a bad temper. Maybe your daddy drank way too much. And you're prone to drink way too much. It's called iniquity. It's not something you can put your hands on. It's not something you can, you can just say, oh, that's the thing I did. No, it's something about, it's buried down deep. Maybe you've had friends for 20 years and they have no idea what goes on in your mind. And you have the thought, if they knew, they'd never want to be my friend. When the reality is this, you're not responsible for the thought that comes in your mind. You're responsible for what you do with the thought that comes in your mind. Temptation to sin is not sin. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in all manners, in all ways, just like me and you. And Jesus never sinned. So when you're tempted to sin, what matters is what you do with that, not... Not the fact that you're tempted. The fact that you're tempted means you're alive. And if you think you're going to get so saved that temptation doesn't come, Jesus couldn't have been more saved. He is salvation. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And the devil himself came and tempted him. The Bible says that he was bruised for our iniquities. A bruise is bleeding underneath the skin. He was wounded for our sin, for our transgression, and he was bruised for our iniquitous nature. He put the blood of Jesus in the areas that you can't see from the outside, just like he put the blood of Jesus for the areas that you can see on the outside. And then to top it all off, he paid for your peace, which means in the middle of all of it, you have a legal right to have peace in your life because the Prince of Peace supplies it. You should have fallen off years ago. You should have quit by now. You should have gone the other way. But somehow the peace of God that surpasses all understanding has sustained you. And the reason it's available is because our God, the Son of, our, the, the Son of God, literally paid for our peace. Number four, the blood of Jesus 
Number three, the blood of Jesus is available to be applied to any area that you need. Number four, the blood of Jesus is powerful. There is nothing like the blood. There will never be anything that compares to the blood. There's a desire for the gospel to be made complex and difficult to understand. But the gospel is this. The Son of God came down from heaven, lived a sinless life, willingly laid His life down, applied His blood in every area necessary for you, and those who call upon His name will be saved. This is the gospel. It's not complex. It's not hard to understand. But the more you rely on the blood of Jesus, the stronger you become in every area. There, there's a dichotomy in, 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 in the world today. It's a dichotomy of, of grace and holiness. Can I just say this? The Holy Spirit that you feel when we worship the Holy Spirit that you feel when we magnify God, the Holy Spirit that fills your car when you're praying, the Holy Spirit that, that fills your room when you're magnifying God, that Holy Spirit, He gives something away. It's done by His name. His first name is Holy. Holy is a word that means separate, set apart, sanctified, distinct, not like anything else. He's holy. That's why in this place, there's certain things we don't do. There's certain things that won't happen in here. Not because we're trying to uh, become religious, but because He's a holy God. There's certain conversations I'm just not going to have, not because I don't think you can, but because He's a holy God. He's separate from the world. People keep trying to figure out what they can get away with and still be close to God. I'm trying to figure out what I can get rid of and get closer to God. He's a holy God. But there's this dichotomy of grace and holiness. Grace and holiness. And a lot of churches, I've heard teaching like it's two different things. They run congruent. If, if, if my wife loved peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and hated tuna fish and every time I fixed dinner I got the little star kiss bag out and tore the top off dumped it in the bowl put a little salt and pepper mixed it up with some mayonnaise and some eggs and said guess what I made some tuna salad would I love her? Would I even be acting like I love her? Now my wife, she's the greatest human I've ever met. She would say, oh, thank you for dinner, baby, and never say a thing about it. But if I know what she likes and I do something else, you see, grace positions you to rebound if you miss the mark. But holiness is the goal. I know how old-fashioned that sounds coming out of my mouth. But we serve a God who does not change. He is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He's an all-consuming fire. 
If you want to go to places in God, you go to places that people aren't going and you will find God there. Moses, he didn't have the blood of Jesus, but he had to get away for 40 days and go stand on a mountain in the presence of God and the only thing he came down with was 10 sentences. No, he's a holy God. I pray that a generation rises up that believes he's a holy God that is to be pursued. Think of a trapeze artist. They're swinging from one, they let go, and by faith they grab the next one. And they might be the best trapeze artist you've ever met. But if you really want to see them be bold, you give them a net that'll catch them if they fall. You see, holiness is our goal. It's what we press towards. We live by faith, not by sight. And sometimes that means we're swinging full throttle and at the very peak of that thing, we've got to let go of one area in order to get to another all by faith. And we've got this feeling of, oh God, what happens if I fall? And God says, grace will catch you. You see, it's not two different directions. It's two beautiful institutions that God has allowed to work in unison that will propel you to press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ with all diligence, with all fervor, with all passion, knowing if you miss the mark, He's going to catch you. My children, I love them. One of the greatest things, descriptions I've ever heard. Come here, baby. Yeah, hurry up. Don't use the stairs. Thank you. Great. This is my son, Walker Lee. He pleases me in every way. When I see him walk around, I feel as though my heart itself is out of my chest. There is nothing he could do, nothing that would make him not my son. But there are things he could do that would make it more difficult to bless him. You see, God wants us all. You can sit down, baby. Thank you. Give him a hand, y'all. That's hard to stand up here. A special boy. You see, the laws and rules of God are for you. They're so you can have access to areas that you can't have otherwise. They're so you can have opportunities that you can't have Otherwise, they're so you can experience things that you can't have otherwise. But, but, but if you felt as though there was no net to catch you,
you would never let go and reach for the next thing. It would be a very difficult thing to pursue God at that level. But because we know that the power of the blood of Jesus covers our sins, covers our iniquities, and while we're swinging on the trapeze of life, grants us the peace that passes all understanding. Now we have the ability to press. When everybody around you is slowing down, you're stepping on the accelerator. When everybody around you is trying to figure out why, you're saying, I might figure that out later, but what I do know is I'm moving to the next level because God has called me from grace to grace, from mountaintop to mountaintop, from glory to glory. But it all comes down to the blood of a spotless lamb being applied where you needed it most. To atone for your sins, to be applied for the sin nature on the inside of you, and to give you peace. That scripture finishes and says, by his stripes were healed. No, the blood of Jesus has not lost its power. In your life, you're going to come up with situations and areas that you cannot explain. I'm just asking you to trust him. I come up with situations and areas that I can't explain. So I, I choose to trust Him by faith. Faith is believing in what you can't see, what you can't touch, what you don't understand completely. But if you remember the blood, if you remember the price paid, if you remember an old rugged cross, if you remember an empty tomb, you're so far ahead of the game. If you remember the, 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 this net called grace is what enables you to let go of one thing and pursue the next. If you remember that He's a holy God and, and because He's holy, He requires uh, you and me to be made holy and, and literally, if we are grafted into the true vine, we are holy. Therefore, we can go to God. The Bible says we can go boldly before the throne room of God and we can make our requests known unto Him. And when we do, we know that the Bible says that He hears us and if He hears us, the Bible says He is faithful to answer us. But He's holy. He's a holy God. I, I, I don't understand it all completely, but I don't have to understand it completely to love it. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly. I don't have all the answers. I study diligently. I stay on my face before God. But there's some areas that are gray. I get it. That's why I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit so He can lead us. But you don't have to have all the answers to fall in love with Him. 
You think about it like this. If you had a gemologist, somebody, a, a jeweler that, that knows everything there is to know about a diamond, and you hand it to them, and they can tell you, oh, that diamond's, you know, 1.2 carats. It, it has, you know, uh, uh, imperfection here. It's, 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 it's color G. It's, 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 it's cut just right or it's not cut just right. It would fit perfect in this band. It wouldn't fit in that band. knows everything there is to know about a diamond. He knows everything about that diamond. He knows more than about that diamond than you could imagine. Now think about a young girl who's been courted by her beau, her suitor, for months if not years. And then in a moment of surprise, he takes her to the place they had their first date. And when she least expects it, he drops to a knee and in front of all the onlookers he begins to profess his love for her. You're heir to me. You're oxygen to me. I don't want to live without you. When we came here the first time I knew and I've been working diligently to win your heart I hope I have. I'll be a good man to you. I'll love you. I'll care for you. I'll take care of you. I really feel like you complete me. Could, if you would, would you marry me? Opens the box. Tears running down her face. Her, she hugs him. They give one of those kisses, not like a, I don't know if you're married, you understand this. One of those kisses that's, it's maybe if I could say it, it's even deeper than romance. It just says, I love you so much. And she steps back and slides that ring on her finger. And she takes that ring. She holds it out like that. Maybe under a street light so it's glistening. And she looks at him. And he says, do you like it? And she says, I love it. She doesn't know how big it is. She doesn't know if it has imperfections. She, don't know, she doesn't know how much it weighs. She doesn't know what color it is on the graph or the scale. She doesn't have to know everything about it to love it. This journey with God is an ever-learning situation. But if you'll just take the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is and what he did, and fall in love with him. Everything, and I mean everything, gets better. Stand to your feet, please.